Hello and welcome to the July 1st, first day of free agency episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Um, of course, we're always joined by our, our co-host, Corbin. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Actually, you know what? I'm not going to ask you that question because I know how you're doing with LeBron F and James signing with the Lakers today. Yes, sir. I am beyond pumped. I've been dancing. I've been just... Dude, I'm on cloud nine right now. You, As you guessed, this is a great, just a historic day right here. For a Lakers fan, from the bottom right back, oh, oh, don't get me started, Eric. Don't get me started. <laughs> and, and, you know, the funny thing is it, you, meant, you mentioned it's a historic day, but it's a historic day that caught a lot of people by surprise because most people weren't expecting LeBron to decide until maybe the middle of this week because not only has he taken his time in past free agency decisions, but usually the marquee signings happen, you know, around July 3rd, July 4th, etc. You know, Kevin Durant to the Warriors, Gordon Hayward to the Celtics, those two come to mind in the past couple of years. So no one was really expecting it to, ha- to drop at Sunday at, you know, 8 p.m. Eastern time by a-, a press release from Clutch Sports and Entertainment, his agency. Um, so it definitely caught everyone by surprise. I wasn't even, obviously, I was planning for the podcast before that, and that caught me off surprise. And this is going to add a whole other 30 minutes into our discussion. But obviously we have to start with the signing because it's LeBron James um, and-, and it's the Lakers. Um Wow. I mean, I'm not surprised because I, I thought that he was going to end up with the Lakers. The Really, the only the surprising thing for me is, one, the timing of the announcement, and two, you know, it's just kind of – I'm sitting here thinking about Le- LeBron's going to be a Laker for at least the next three years because he has a, a three-year-out deal with a play option on year four for $154 million, obviously, Max. Um, I'm just – I mean, I'm going to toss it to you because, you know – your Lakers fan following them for a while. They've obviously, as you mentioned, been at the bottom for a while. And, and now it's interesting because he doesn't join them with a, a set star coming with him. It's it's not set in stone that Kawhi Leonard is going to be traded there. Paul George apparently knew that LeBron was going to sign with the Lakers and passed that up to stay with the Thunder, which we'll talk about after we, after this LeBron signing. Um, it's not set that someone's going to be joining LeBron, at least for this season. You know, there are rumors about the Lakers being interested in DeMarcus Cousins. Um, they brought back Contavious Caldwell-Pope for $12 million on a one-year deal. Um, I, he has the same agency representation, so that makes sense. And he was also there last year and a nice piece next to LeBron for shooting and, and some defense. Um, but it's interesting that LeBron is going there without knowing that a star is going to join him. Obviously, he hasn't done that in the past, basically ever since he went to the Heat. He's always had stars with him. Um, you know, he can, you can talk about how the family aspect, the living in L.A. aspect, or the fact that maybe this was entirely always his end game. You know, the fact that the other su- surprising thing about the signing is, is the length. Four years. I mean, three years plus a play option. We'll see if he takes that play option three years from now. But at least three years with the Lakers, that's longer commitment than he's made ever since returning to the Cavs. He's always been doing a one plus one, basically, or a two plus one. Um, so this basically seems like it was always his end game to kind of ride out the remainder of his career in L.A. It's good for his family. Um, I'll obviously toss it to you, but the interesting aspects, at least from my perspective, are the fact that he's not going there with a star joining him for sure, though that's very possible and or likely depending on how you view it and what the Spurs leverage is in the situation at this point. Um, but really LeBron is a Laker. I mean, that's the, that is what happened today out of nowhere. It, no doubt. It, it's almost a, a 2k dream for myself come true. And as you said, it is the contract and the length that surprised me four years, 153 million. Um, and I guess, as you said, that player option after the third, that, that's a level of commitment that we haven't seen in a LeBron James contract, you know, since he left 
um, Cleveland and went to Miami it, since 2010. That's just been the longest one. He's kind of played that that one-and-one one with the player option, maximum leverage on his side, you know, force the front office to make a move, always have the power in that respect. By having this contract set up, and yes, there is the opt-out to the fourth year, but for those next three years, the Lakers, the fan base, front office, LeBron, can all rest with the knowledge that, yes, this is the relationship that we're going to have for the next three years. There's, there's no end game. I mean, there is an end game, obviously, hopefully a championship, building talent, but they realize that maybe this is between LeBron, the front office, coming to that 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 general um, end place where this is going to be a process. You know, it, it could be almost, it reminds me of 2014 when LeBron wrote that letter, um, you know, the Sports Illustrated letter and said, oh, he's coming back, and he said, you know, it's going to take time, you know, um, we have to you know, get acclimated to these teammates, you know, working together, kumbaya, the whole thing he said, and then they immediately shipped Andrew Wiggins off for Kevin Love and and made the rush to the finals and started that ticking time bomb from that point. But this just feels different. As you said, family played a huge role in this, lifestyle. Um, L.A. obviously is where he's been. You know, Magic Johnson, I'm sure, played a big role. I'm positive we'll get into that a little bit later as far as just having that trust that, okay, this front office with Rob Palenka, with Magic Johnson, will work to to put me in the best possible situation moving forward. And now I think it is interesting. We have LeBron is there, that is set. Are is there a trade in the works? Um, Demarcus Cousins floated about. I don't know if that's happening now. Just with between um, LeBron James signing and KCP also being retained, the cap space remaining there um, for Max. That's that's always in play. Um, any trades with involving a Brandon Ingram, involving a Kyle Kuzma. Uh, uh, um, you know, obviously Lonzo Ball's still there in the mix. Josh Hart. These are young pieces that if LeBron plays with right now, y- they they have the knowledge. Okay, we can they can grow with LeBron. LeBron can can play with a, a pure point guard, which I don't think he's played with. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. In I, I can't think of the last pure point guard he played with. Mo Williams, too um, long. Kyrie, too long. <laughs> exactly. So this will put him in a situation. You know, if Lonzo Ball stays, that is totally unique. Um. And that whole team, there's so many. There's just so much to unpack. But I, I think it's reassuring and eye-opening that it was that length for a contract. This is the second free agency move, and I'm sure we'll talk about Paul George later, where it was the obviously the dollars, but also the years that were just a bit surprising here. Yeah, that, that, that's a common theme among the uh, top players that have signed their con- their new contracts, both LeBron and Paul George. Breaking news, by the way, and this should be interesting to you, is that uh, the Lakers have added another player. Uh, one Lance Stevenson has agreed to a one-year deal. We don't know the monetary value at this point, um, but of course, I've got my phone right next to me, so I'll be getting the notifications. But again, yeah, as you mentioned, Demarcus Cousins very, very unlikely now because they don't—they just don't have any cap space left. You know, after Lance Stevenson takes whatever he gets, um, they won't have any money left for Demarcus Cousins. They could renounce Julius Randle's. Uh, rights and clear up I think around 12 and a half million more in cap space but then you know and that's another thing you know first of all one anyone who's looking to update their 2k rosters and play with LeBron and Lakers I wouldn't do it yet because this roster could change the next couple of days and also other players mm-hmm. could also change in the league if you're looking to play with other teams um but on a, non, <laughs> on a non-2k note um this is interesting because LeBron let's say they don't add a star like a Kawhi Leonard. Let's say they fill out the rest of the roster with with these guys like 
Caldwell Pope, Lance Stevenson, maybe Brooke Lopez comes back for for cheap. Um, let's say they ride into a, into the next season with LeBron, the young guys, and you know some veteran role players. That team is is not beating the Warriors. Uh, I mean, I don't think anyone would ever predict that to happen. It's interesting that LeBron is seems to be okay with that. At least for this season, and I, and I think it's great that you're putting out that you know he he has trust in this new front office, Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka. That you know, listen, you know, this year we're not going to be maybe we don't add a player this year and we don't contend, you know, for the title or even to make the conference finals because we still got a very good Rockets team there. The Thunder should be better getting Andre Roberson back and bringing back their guys. Um, other teams, just the Jazz are tough. The Denver Nuggets should improve. Timberwolves are there. There's just so much. T- and first of all, I haven't even mentioned the fact that the NBA really has to look into abolishing conferences now because to have these, the Lakers, who potentially be, could become a super team this summer or next summer, the Rockets, the Warriors, and, you know, the Thunder and all the other improved teams in the West, I mean, they need to, I mean, it's just not going to be fair for one of these teams to be eliminated, you know, in the second round. Um, no. But that's no. what that's what, would, what what I would predict for this Lakers team in terms of not, they're not going to make the finals this season, if they don't add another star player, I just don't think they have the capabilities to hang with the Warriors, which is interesting from LeBron's perspective. Obviously, he's made eight straight finals. Pretty much he owned the Eastern Conference, and this also unravels so many things to talk about in the East in terms oh, of the Celtics. Yes. 76ers having that stranglehold, the Raptors now, how this unfolds for them after they've been haunted by LeBron for the past three years, basically. Um, but again, this, this whole thing on, on the court, LeBron, I mean, obviously we don't know his mindset, but it seems like he seems... He seems comfortable with you know not forcing things to get a star for this season. He seems comfortable to to play a year with these young guys, get acclimated both off the court and on the court, do well. Of course, I think I'd predict this Lakers team to win over 50 games just because of LeBron and they have some nice young pieces. And if they can continue to fill out the roster with guys like Caldwell Pope, Lance Stevenson is you know really hit or miss. Um, but bringing back other guys, Brooke Lopez, um, stuff like that. I heard they had interest in Nerlens Noel possibly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think they'll be able to. They'll be a good team, maybe a top four seed, get some home court advantage. But the the effects of not you know competing for this championship, it's it's just an interesting move by LeBron for this year. You know, I thought he would go to the Lakers and recruit someone and make sure someone came with him this year, whether that was Kawhi, whether that was Paul George. You know, I think he probably tried to get Paul George. Um, mm-hmm. But that that. Or Lance. Or, or, <laughs> wow, LeBron James and Lance Stevenson on the same team. That's uh, that's something. Um, um, <laughs> is, whew, I mean, you cannot add Boogie Cousins to that locker room anyways, regardless of no, if they had money. No, they already got LeVar Ball. This, uh, I'm telling you, man. I, I know you do, but I love this league. What are the odds? 2018, long-time nemesis LeBron James and Lance Stevenson are, are just siding up together. And you have LeVar Ball in the mix. On this just... And, and we're not even done. That's the fun part. We're not even done. This is just, oh my goodness. Uh, so Lance Stevens getting four point five million. So I think the Lakers are pretty much out of cap space. Um, yeah. I'm no cap guy, but that's what I've been seeing on Twitter. Um, but yeah. So basically, my overall, my, my overarching point here is, you know, on the court, it's just interesting that LeBron seems kind of content to grow with this, grow with these young guys, get acclimated for a year, and not put the pressure on himself and the organization and the front office especially to go out there and rush to get another star with him. I think he's kind of content with, you know, just playing out a year, you know, getting acclimated with these young guys and growing and not necessarily contending for a championship, which as of right now, their roster wouldn't do in the Western conference. That that's true. And it's, it's, Oh man, it's so, so interesting to see how this unfolds. Um, if there is any moves to be made, as you said, with the lag cap space now with all, with the signings that have already been agreed upon today, 
is this what LeBron is content with for now? Are they planning on moving forward and making a trade to 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 bring in a star? You know what what is coming up next? That that is just as I said, there's so much going on, man. But that right there is definitely on the LA side. And yes, with this current iteration, they will not they're not going to be able to they're not going to be able to win a championship. Um, they'll have some interesting games with the Warriors. A lot of a, a lot of, of of fun. Oh my goodness, the Western Conference is going to be amazing as always, and just a dogfight as ever. But it's really refreshing almost to see LeBron in this in this new phase, and I don't know if it's too early to say that, where, and, and to take a Philadelphia 76ers moniker, he's willing to trust the process. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, the West is going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be extremely fun. For an East Coaster like myself, it makes me have to stay up past, you know, midnight on all these marquee Lakers, Warriors, Lakers, etc. Because the Lakers, you know, become instantly must watch depending on who they're playing obviously i'm not going to stay up for lakers you know mavericks or something like that make lakers Suns, maybe but the Suns are an interesting team as well which we'll get to a little bit but i agree i think listen something could change something a trade could happen the kyrie irving trade didn't happen i think until august the last year something could happen right because let's say the summer progresses and the lakers the lakers now also all the reports have been that they don't really feel a rush to trade for leonard now you know when Paul George left, stayed in Oklahoma City, there, and we didn't know if LeBron was definitely going to the Lakers, there might have been more pressure on them to try and trade for Kawhi, which would have given the Spurs leverage. But now they have LeBron, and LeBron and the front office and the organization seems content with not rushing to get a star. The Lakers don't, the Spurs don't have as much leverage. And, you know, let's say nothing, things progress, the Lakers fill out their roster, free agency unwinds, we get to like early, late July, early August, and the reports come out that Kawhi Leonard's, you know, the tension there is even is even higher than before. And then there's more pressure to trade him, like basically like Kyrie Irving last year when, you know, he said, you got to trade me, like I'm not going to play, blah, blah, blah. He threatened to have that knee surgery, et cetera. I don't think Kawhi would do something like that. But if the tension increases and in that increases in that situation sometime in August, a trade could happen then. You know, the offseason is a long time. I think a lot of people sometimes think that these trades all have to happen, you know, the first two weeks of July. But we have to forget – we forget sometimes that while there's nothing significant going on in August, there's no summer league, there's no real free agency, you know, all the big people and even the role players have signed, trades can still happen in, in August. And, you know, before the season starts, the, the Lakers roster could look very different than this. You know, LeBron could sign and then start recruiting Kawhi even more, even though Kawhi, you know, wants to play with the Lakers anyway. Or, anyways, or he could start – he could sign and, you know, say, like, come on. We've got some young pieces here, but I want to I want to try and contend, you know, seriously and try and you know knock off these Warriors. And to do that, we got to trade, you know, these two young guys to get Kawhi or something like that. So there could be there, he could put pressure on the front office to to make a trade sometime later this summer. I'm not going to rule that out of the way, but if they don't, they'll win like 50 plus games probably in the regular season. They'll probably you know, it's hard to predict what they do in the playoffs. Obviously, with the Seattle, the Rockets continue to shape out their roster. Other teams in the West shape out their roster, injuries, etc. But they're going to be relying on a lot of young players to try and knock off a Warriors team that's in their prime, and that's just something I don't see happening. But, uh, I mean, unless you have any more thoughts directly on LeBron or, or the Lakers situation, because we haven't even talked about bringing back Julius Randle potentially, where he fits in now for you know for his situation. Does he take his qualifying offer and return for one year? Do they just give him a one-year deal and he can be an unrestricted free agent next summer? I mean, he fits in. You know, in a weird area here where he's also one of those young players, but also someone who could be a nice piece next to LeBron James, you know, probably at center, but they still have to, you know, fill out their roster. So, so, so many aspects to unwind. I want to see if you have any more thoughts on LeBron or the Lakers perspective or even, you know, a guy like Julius Randle. I, I, Julius Randle's interesting. I don't know. They're clearly in need of a big, 
So I'm not sure how the Lakers plan on going about that, whether Brooke Lopez is still in play to be brought back. I think it's safe to say DeMarcus Cousins is out. Um, word about Nerlens Noel is still going on, so that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, if Being the Lakers fan that I am and just seeing how Julius Randle has developed, I would hope that we do something to bring him back, be that you know the qualifying offer, um, just come back and, and play a year, that type of deal matching. Whatever we have to do, just bring him back. I think this would be a very interesting roster to have him alongside a LeBron, alongside the core they have, barring any future moves. And as you said, it's very fluid right now. The The roster won't be set even through August, as you said, because with trades, with moves, um, obviously no longer free agency is while you know they've met under the cap, over the cap. But there's so much still in play. I think the Lakers' next priority would or should be to bring back Julius Randle. Um, and I saw a report earlier on um, NBA TV that, I guess, Randle wasn't exactly encouraged to come back or not really uh wanting to come back whatever I, f- I forget the exact quote but i definitely was hearing that and going oh that's interesting but if there's any way to bring him back i, I say go for it i think you you're not going to compete um for a championship as long as golden state is in full strength in the same conference as you and that's fine and lebron and management seem to be fine with that at the moment so bring randall back if you're not making any moves keep lebron keep these ancillary pieces that you brought around you obviously have these young courts. You could continue developed with an Ingram, with a ball. See what happens this year, and then work for for the next one. And and, and you know, there's a a crazy deep free agency class in 2019, and see what happens from there. Yeah, I agree. And and the other thing with Julius Randle is that the market is drying up really quickly in terms of teams having money to give him an offer sheet for the Lakers to match. I mean. He's just going to run out of offers. There's no, there's no teams that are going to have money for him anymore, so he might just be forced to take the qualifying offer and, and play out a year, see if maybe playing with LeBron James. I mean, he had, a, he had a very good year last year, Julius Randle, and we're both really high on him, but maybe even playing alongside LeBron James in a, in a bigger role potentially um, could even boost his value even more for the summer of 2019 where there will be more money to go around as well. Um, but I do agree he could be a nice piece, and I think that just by force – you know he'll he'll have to join the Lakers again, taking that qualifying offer because there are just no teams that have the money. You know teams like a Mavericks who had the money. You know pretty much gave that to DeAndre Jordan, and they're going to use the remaining money they have on Dirk Nowitzki. Um, the Suns spent their money, which we'll talk about. The Hawks have money, but they don't really seem like a place or a destination for Julius Randle, and they also have been rumors to be interested in Zach Levine. Um, there just might not be any more options for Julius Randle to, to go anywhere else or to force his way out of L.A., in which case he can come back for the qualifying offer, which I wouldn't – it's always a risk, you know, if he gets injured, that's a risk, but also a move that playing alongside LeBron James in a bigger role, um, more national TV games for sure, um, that could also boost his value for 2019. But, uh, I mean, it's we're talking – we've been talking about it for 18 minutes, and I'm still kind of just shocked that LeBron is a Laker, even though I thought he was going to end up Same. there. But just, like, talking about him, analyzing him on the Lakers roster – I mean, it's too hard to kind of analyze how he fits in directly because this roster could change tomorrow. <laughs> you never know. That's how crazy the NBA is. Um, but I do think it's interesting. I think the the next logical place to go in terms of discussing the after effects or just relation to LeBron James going to L.A. is Paul George not going to L.A. and sticking with the Thunder in a four-year deal for $137 million. Again, similar there's a player option on year four for Paul George, so it's a three-plus-one. But that's, again, as you mentioned earlier – the length of the contract is the most surprising thing. I mean, well, maybe it's just a surprising that he didn't even really give the Lakers a meeting, which is, I mean, everyone a year ago said, oh, Paul George, going to the Lakers summer of 2018. But got to give credit to the Thunder. Their organization, coaching staff, 
Russell Westbrook. That those all seem to have a very very strong positive effect on Paul George and kind of motivated him and inspired him to stay in Oklahoma City when pretty much everyone assumed he'd be going to LA. And and that's a thing to analyze when teams are kind of hesitant about trading for a player like Kawhi Leonard. You saw what the Thunder did. The Thunder mm-hmm. traded for Paul George with one year left on his deal and basically banked on their culture inspiring him to stick around and he did. If you have if you're an organization with a strong culture and some strong leaders and strong star players that are good teammates and can fit with that that potential player that you're trading for, you should just take the risk because if you you know if this is a great example. The Thunder culture and the teammates and the star player they had in Westbrook, they all were inspired inspired Paul George to stick around. And if your team is in a similar fashion where they have a good culture or you know good star players that can relate to the, the player you're trading for or a good coach or something like that, take the risk because you can actually convince these players to stick around. I mean, everyone thought Paul George was going to the Lakers or at least giving them a meeting or that the Lakers were the favorite for him, and they didn't even get a meeting. That's how strong the uh, of a lasting impact the Thunder culture and, and organization made on Paul George. So for these teams that are kind of scared to trade for these star players with one year left, I get it. I get the reports that Kawhi wants to go to the Lakers, blah, 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 but there were the same reports for Paul George, and look what happened. He didn't even give a meeting, and he stayed with Oklahoma City. Uh, I think that's an interesting wrinkle, and for Paul George, it's also an interesting decision because this is a, a situation, again, where I just don't see the Thunder being that team that really... He says he wants to compete for championships, and I just I don't think... That sticking with the Thunder over going to the Lakers with LeBron, you know, is the better situation in terms of competing for this year. I know that they obviously they had a, a weird year last year, and you know they didn't have Andre Roberson. Maybe that could have helped them in the playoffs, and they would have maybe made the second round or so. But I still think they would have been eliminated by the Rockets. Um, Carmelo Anthony's a real issue. Um, they brought back Jeremy Grant. We should mention for three years, twenty-seven million dollars player option on year three. Um, but this team's gonna be really expensive too, and that's another aspect to, to kind of unravel and analyze for this team what they do because of their incredible cost for this roster, in terms of maybe just stretching or just waving Carmelo Anthony to save like a hundred million dollars in terms of luxury tax and his salary itself. Um, so, you know, what do you, what were your impressions when you first heard that Paul George was re-signing with OKC and then, you know, the length of it? And then how do you think the OKC roster kind of stacks up now that we know LeBron's in LA, we know that the Rockets are still there and we know the Warriors are obviously the Warriors. I, I think Paul George signing with the Thunder is just a tremendous win for Oklahoma City on a number of fronts. For the community, you know, it's almost like a clapback to those who think, oh, why would any star want to stay in Oklahoma? Um, Russell Westbrook and his um, Supermax notwithstanding. For the ownership, it's just a a, a reminder, not a reminder, but more of a a told you so type deal to those who said, oh, they won't they won't spend enough. They won't they they keep bringing up James Harden in the 2012 situation. But oh, they're frugal. You know, they won't break the bank for a Paul George Um, for Sam Presti. I mean. I'm telling you, I have the best line of the summer, and I've already heard this before, but scared money don't make none. I mean, I think that's all I'm going to remember when it comes to OKC and their pursuit of Paul George this this year. It, it worked. They made the trade that, you know, it was bumpy um, because not only are you, you basically doing a season-long pitch to a player that could be a free agent who's already gone on the record saying that he wanted to play for his hometown team for the LA Lakers and you put him with you know a rather interesting mix alongside Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony you have a bumpy up and down season then you start getting it back together and then have Andre Andre Robertson go down with his injury that sort of throws him in for a loop they kind of stumble into the first round you lose to a rookie Carmelo was just an unmitigated disaster you know all of that so it wasn't like heading into the offseason Thunder fans were the most encouraged. I think it's safe to say that. But 
for Paul George to you know, fall in love with the community, the way he was embraced. Obviously, as you said, his friendship with Russell Westbrook really played a key role in that. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a, of a delusion there thinking, oh, we're, we're going to be able to compete for a championship. Yes, I guess in the word they are contenders. Um, with LeBron to the Lakers, I don't want to say the axis shifts because, I'm sorry, Golden State hasn't disappeared or gone away. They're very much the cream of the crop. Houston is in an interesting spot because – I still think they're – I don't know. I, I, we're going to talk about Ariza later. I don't think that they have the um, – I think Ariza was a, a stinky key piece for them. Having Paul George and having James Harden, and until they're proven wrong, I think they're still the second-best team in the West. Lakers are in the picture. The Thunder are somewhere around there. And then the Spurs, they're in the mix. I don't think – by by no, by no means are they definitely a lock to even get to – the conference finals. I think the second round is is a pretty reasonable goal, but that that doesn't even matter. It's still an unqualified success. Um, there is that enormous tax bill. They might have to waive Carmelo. They've already tied up so much money to a team, obviously that was eliminated in the very first round. But first, your cap space should go to players like Russell and Paul George. I'm sorry, they're at least top five for their position. Um, both of them, I'd say, top fifteen, top twenty in the NBA as far as players overall. Um, Steven Adams, I think he's, like, the best player that's not a star, especially for a center in the league. And I think those three fit together very well. Um, Jeremy Grant was a great piece. You could say Thunder ownership learned from their mistakes, which that's my one gripe I have to say. Because they go, oh, that was a crazy deal. Paul George shouldn't have signed, you know, for for that long and that much money. What were they thinking? Well, first of all, if if you're Oklahoma City... What, what do you do? Do you recreate the same mistakes you did back in 2012 when you didn't want to put that money out for James Harden? Do you say, oh, now we're going to do it again? Or are you, aren't you supposed to go and put that money out to bring these players back? I mean, at, at best, you, you're competing. You have Paul George and Russell Westbrook locked in for their primes. I think Paul George plays great next to a lightning rod in Russell Westbrook, who will, will take, yeah, a lion's share of the shots, but he also gets a lion's share of the attention, a lion's share of the blame, if we're going to be honest. And Paul George can slot in and be the type of player I think he is, where he's a very good second banana complimentary star. His shots didn't drop off, I think it was 17 a game, um, pretty much from Indiana to here, like 20 shots a game, 17 shots a game in that range. He's comfortable there. And if you're a player, hey, friendship is a great deal. I, I fell in love with Oklahoma City. And why risk going to the unknown with LeBron James in L.A., where I can get my money and kind of stay comfortable here in Oklahoma City. And, hey, who knows what might happen over the next couple of years, and we can make a crack at it. I agree. This is a huge win for the city, obviously, huge win for the organization because it's a good reflection of how strong their culture is and their chemistry and you know their impact that they had on Paul George to convince him to, to re-up with them for, for three years at the minimum, maybe even four. Um, and I also agree that... I, I agree that it's it's weird because as we, we both kind of don't see them as a true, true contender. You know, the Rockets are in a weird situation. We'll see what happens in terms of how they try and replace Trevor Reza and who they can pick up. Maybe some kind of weird, crazy trade happens later in the summer. I don't know. I never count out Daryl Moore. He's going to do something weird. Um, <laughs> but you've still got the Rockets there. As long as they have Chris Paul, James Harden, they're going to bring back Clint Capella probably. they still got guys like P.J. Tucker who can contribute. they got the Mike D'Antoni system. That's still going to get them a top three seed pretty much guaranteed. Um, obviously, the Lakers with LeBron now. But even, even these teams that are, haven't really done anything this summer, but the Jazz, who beat the Thunder last year are there and they should take maybe another step you know maybe donovan mitchell improves a little bit um they get more health maybe from rudy gobert um the nuggets should be in line for a nice improvement the timberwolves are still there though there are some weird chemistry issues between wiggins and butler and towns and they basically have, you know they 
keep bringing back old Bulls players and who knows. I mean, they might have Joakim Noah and Luol Deng on their roster by the time the season starts if, they, if those two get bought out or waived. <laughs> um, but there are just so many tough teams that it's – I can't confidently say that the Thunder would even make it past the second round. And this is what I would do if I'm the Thunder. You, you've got to get rid of Melo because, one, he just – he hurts them. He hurts them on the floor. I, I Just the way he plays, the ball stopping, lack of defense, lack of true playmaking, they just don't need him. They don't need what he provides anymore with Westbrook and Paul George there. They just don't need it. Um, and also the money concerns. I mean, it's, getting rid of him, you know, I think it's somewhere – could save him somewhere like 80 to $100 million when you factor in his salary but also the, the luxury tax impacts of his salary because they're over the, the luxury tax. Just it makes sense on, on the floor and off the floor to get rid of Melo, um, and then you, you, you slot in like a guy like Jeremy Grant. You get Andre Roberson back. You know we'll see how he recovers from the torn patellar tendon there that he had. That's always a concerning injury. But if they can come back to full strength, I really like Jeremy Grant. I think he's underrated. I think it was a nice contract for him. Um, and I was I was hoping that another team would would be smart to try and sign him from OKC because I thought that maybe they would have be too expensive of a roster to match the deal. But they got him back uh, himself. I like this roster in a vacuum without Melo. If you tell me that Melo is going to be, be there and still command 30 minutes a game, I just think that their ceiling lowers each time that he's you know, playing on the floor with, with these guys, taking away from what George and Westbrook can do, taking away from playing better options like Jeremy Grant, who's a better defender, and you know, while not the shooter or not the offensive player, but you can do some weird stuff lineup-wise with Jeremy Grant, playing him at the center position, you know, with his really long wingspan. He can switch. He can confidently hit down, hit a couple of threes, you know, especially from the corner. I, I just think that you tell me Melo's not on this roster. I like the Thunder chances better to kind of really truly compete. But if they bring back the same roster as last year, for the most part, I, I'm not sure I see them even getting past the second round. Which a team that's this expensive and for Paul George who wants to compete for championships, it's kind of a confusing move on the court, at least for his for his perspective. I agree. I, I'm. I, I will say that I was uh, rather irrationally happy that Paul George did decide to stay. I think it's a win for small market teams. It's in, in a sense that hey, we can get a little bold and let's say trade for a superstar or a disgruntled superstar on an expiring deal and really make that our season long pitch to keep him. And if we can convince him that you know our culture is something that appeals to him, that you know our players and our coaching staff. We'll work with him, and our front office will do what it can to to put him in the best position possible. Then, then we have a good chance of retaining top level talent that we would not even get a free agency meeting with otherwise. I think having that helps. Um, Paul George, as you said, the the way that the team is set up, you're right. It's interesting. I will definitely root for them. Patrick Patterson, I think, could get it get be a, a more of a key piece if and when or when Carmelo leaves. Just playing. Jeremy Grant, I believe in his versatility. As you said, the little things he can do, protecting the rim on one end, being a, a, a great roller, putting gravity that way, stretching the floor just a little bit, hopefully grows in that area. There's a lot of things in Oklahoma City that you can that you can look and go, wow, you know, this is great. And where this two or three years ago, I'd be even more excited, to be honest with you. But where we're at right now, with, with the Lakers, the powerhouse, the Rockets still there, the Spurs still there, as you said, the Jazz, Warriors, cream of the crop, it, 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 it may not be a championship is not a championship roster. Let's just say that. And although Paul George seems to think it is, that's fine. I mean, the morale is great. You have a, a motivated Paul George, a motivated Russell Westbrook. They will be in every game. They will be scrappy. They will fight. Um, I, I'm with you in the sense of I don't know if they'll got the second round. I might be a little more high on them just depending on matchups and whatnot. But just for small market teams, just for Sam Presti, for Oklahoma City, having had to deal with that, let's just say, devastating loss of Kevin Durant two years ago, 
I, I would say most other teams would just be floored and decimated by that. W- would have totally flipped out. Um, Russell Westbrook would have been gone. Horrible moves would have been made. Sam Presti was measured. He made great moves that even though it didn't even work out in the best of, 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 of situations that it could have this past year, in a vacuum, you can look at those moves and go, wow, that, that was going swinging for the fences. And the fact that Paul George decided to commit long-term only validates that decision. So, yes, yeah, not a long-term championship roster, no, but I think it's still a win for Oklahoma City, and I think they could be proud of themselves and their team moving forward. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, it's hard to say what, what their real true playoff ceiling could be, you know, depending on matchups, of course, depending on health, of course. Let's say they can get Andre Roberson back to kind of 100%, becomes that lockdown defender that helps out Paul George not to do so much defensively. He can be a better offensive player in the playoffs, a different matchup. Maybe they run into a team that has their own injury themselves. A couple of breaks here and there, a couple of different, you know, maybe more motivation from the team that after a, a disappointing first year together as a core, maybe no more mellow, um, could, you know, they could find their way in the Western Conference Finals. It's not completely crazy. But as of right now, if you said, do you think the Thunder would make the Conference Finals? I would say no. And we'll see. Maybe things change. Maybe teams get worse. Teams get better. Maybe they get better. Maybe there's just in- internal improvement, health. <laughs> It's so much. It's so hard to predict. Obviously, you know, we're it's it's July. It's July first. So, but still, <laughs> a, a surprising move from Paul George, and but great for the Thunder both to get him, get back, get get back Jeremy Grant. The, the friendship between Westbrook and, and George seems to be really strong. What doesn't seem to be as strong is the Houston Rockets foundation. After Trevor Ariza shocked the world, I think, and took a one-year, fifteen million dollar deal to the Phoenix Suns. Before we get to that. We should point out that the Rockets did, in fact, bring back Chris Paul for a max contract, four years, $160 million. So they did negotiate out their way out of a fifth year, which would have been probably one of the worst contracts in the league at that point for Chris Paul. And people are always, you know, there obviously are concerns with Chris Paul. He's in- very injury prone. He's already 33, I believe. I don't have any concerns for at least the next two years. I think in the next two years, he'll be a similar player as he was last year, which he was really good. I think he had a very underrated season because he missed about like 30, 35 games. But when he was playing on the floor, he was really good with the Rockets. And they staggered him and and James Harden. So one of them was always on the floor, which means they always killed, you know, teams when Chris Paul would go against bench lineups. And I think that they should do a similar strategy this year. I think the first two years of this deal are going to be completely fine. Year three, it's probably going to be pretty questionable in terms of his value, both you know if he's injury prone or he just takes a, a big decline athletically, which he obviously he's not. The thing about Chris Paul, he doesn't really rely on his athleticism as much as other point guards do, like Russell Westbrook. Like Westbrook's decline, I think, will be a lot steeper when it when it happens. Um, but I think year three is going to you know start where the question marks happen. Year four will be pretty bad. But again, you're you're signing him to this contract for last season when he opted in and and. and lost uh, you know 10 plus million dollars in what he could have gotten in a free agency contract and then you're also paying for this year and, and obviously next year the window is, is is closing with James Harden you know 29 years old so these guys are in their prime you got to pay for that but Chris Paul's back and a big signing for them in lieu of what Trevor Reza did is that they got Gerald Green to come back on a one-year veterans minimum which is huge for them because Gerald Green is was awesome for the Rockets last year but it's also most likely going to have a bigger role this year in terms of filling out the role that Trevor Ariza lost. Now, let's get to this Trevor Ariza contract because we did our we were doing oh. our live free agency show uh, when this broke, and uh, I I mean uh, you guys can go watch it on our YouTube channel, but I had some interesting uh, reactions, and now that I've had you know almost 24 hours to think about it, my reaction is the same thing. There there are so many things to unpack here. Number one. Trevor Reza's comments of wanting to go somewhere to contend or return, 
You're not getting any contending in Phoenix. I'm, I'm sorry. You're not. You're not going. You're not making. They're not making the playoffs. Okay, especially in that Western Conference. Um, I'm, we're not sure what his role is. I mean, are they going to play him more than the young guys? Are they going to play him at power forward and and go for that small ball lineup? You know, around DeAndre Ayton. Um, is he there, you know, as a as a 34 minutes per game guy, or is he there as a 25 minutes per game guy and a mentor? Because I think that a lot of people expect the signing to be like, or a lot of people praise the signing because they got a quality veteran, quality locker room presence, championship experience, been around the league for such a long time, great player to, to grow and develop these young wings that they have in Phoenix. But what if Trevor Reese is looking for that, you know, 34, 35 minutes per game role? He's played over 33 minutes per game each of the past four years with the Rockets. And... I'm not sure what the Suns are giving him there. I mean, we can talk about that from the Suns' perspective, but since we started off with the Rockets' perspective, let's talk about that a little bit more because the Rockets are losing a role player. Trevor Reeves is a role player, but I don't understand, and this is what kind of frustrates me a little bit, is that on Twitter, you saw Rockets' Twitter, Rockets' Twitter specifically, they were just like... They were going crazy. Like, how can you guys think that this is a big loss? He's a role player. Oh, he he shot 0 for 12 in Game 7. Oh, we can replace that. That's easy. It's not easy to replace Trevor Ariza. It's not easy to replace any 3 and D wing in the NBA. Those are the, the prime commodities in the league. 3 and D wings mm-hmm. do not grow on trees, okay? They, they are rare. And I know Trevor Ariza, some games the 3 is there, some games it's not. Some games the defense is there, some games it's not. He's very inconsistent, and I get it. He's 33 years old. But to say that they're going to slot in, like, P.J. Tucker into his role. What, what, what happens? What do you do with P.J. Tucker's role as he was a starting power forward for the second half of the season in the playoffs? Ryan Anderson was out of the rotation in the playoffs. You can play him in the regular season, of course, but you're not playing him in the playoffs pretty much at all. What, they don't even have Luke Mabamute back yet. They can try and resign him, and even if they do, you slot in Mabamute at small forward. He's not the shooter that Trevor Reza is. You could say he's a better defender, but what about the offensive side of the ball? Trevor Reese is actually decently capable of, or comfortable handling the ball in terms of attacking the rim. Mbamute is not. Mbamute barely shoots over two three-pointers per game. I mean, Trevor Reese is launching six-plus per game comfortably, whether you want him to or not. Um, you can't replace him easily, and the Rockets obviously don't have the money to replace him easily. They don't have these big offer sheets. They don't have big money to offer these guys that are on the market, and plus there aren't many— 3 and D wings or anything close to that still on the market. James Ennis could be a guy, but he's nowhere near Trevor Reese's level, especially in terms of being comfortable with the Rockets' teammates. Trevor Reese is a great friend of James Harden and Chris Paul, being comfortable in the system. I mean, what if they were... Okay, so you tell me that they can bring back Mabamute, maybe they add James Ennis, and they have Gerald Green and P.J. Tucker and you know Eric Gordon, James Harden, whatever... Yeah, that'll fill out most of it, but there's still going to be a small key aspect. And we're talking about this in terms of beating the Warriors. We're not talking about it in terms of regular season wins or even getting to there. We're, we're With the Rockets, in terms of analyzing how they can beat the Warriors, and they lost a key piece in that puzzle in terms of beating the Warriors because Trevor Reza, while he went cold from three in the playoffs, especially in the conference finals, his defense on, on Kevin Durant was great. I mean, you can't say anything else about it. He did a very, very good job on Kevin Durant defensively in the playoffs. And they lost a key piece of their core, and that makes them a weaker team at this moment. We'll see what they have to do to replace it. But that's enough of my rant from my perspective. Obviously, I've covered the Rockets, so I just had so many people trashing Trevor Ariza and trashing how they could easily replace him, and I couldn't disagree more in terms of the Rockets' perspective, in terms of their competing for a championship, losing a key role player, a 3-and-D role player, which is a high commodity in the NBA. No, I'm. you tell him, Eric. I'm all for it. Uh, do you want to react to some breaking news real quick before you get my take? Yes, please go ahead. All right, so it's not Houston, but Alfred Payton has agreed to a deal with the Pelicans, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. 
And JaVel McGee has agreed to a deal with the Lakers I'm looking at now, too. <laughs> wow. So... What type of roster is this? I'm, okay, so I'm a, I'm a real quick before we start talking about these uh, interesting rosters. I will go into my thing on Trevor Reza. Um, He hit, I was looking at this a little bit ago. I'm trying to find the exact stat, but I saw it this morning. He hit, he was 23rd on the NBA three-pointers made list for this season. He hit three less than Kevin Durant. So, I mean, 33, yes, as you said, aging a little bit. You you saw some sign of slippage. Uh, he went over 12 in that game, seven from three. And I think part of that is because he was chasing Durant around half of the series and then not switching on to guards and, and playing the type of defense that he does. But he definitely brought defense and he definitely brought three-point shooting ability. And now it, it, it's almost as if with the remaining money that the Rockets have, which isn't a lot, as well as the remaining free agents on the market, you're going to have to kind of choose between that three or D type. Because there's a reason that P.J. Tucker was P.J. Tucker. He's a little bigger, a little, a little slower. Not bigger in in as in mass, but just not as quick to cover some of these other players that Trevor Reza was guarding. Bamute brings you that defensive side, but Trevor Reza was more than honest from three. Yes, he was streaky, but like I said, 23 on the three-point shooting makes for the season. He was knocking them down, most certainly. Whereas Bamute's really had more of a, a, a discovering of his stroke, which isn't bad at all, but he's not in a Reza. He's a great compliment to Ariza and you can't replace especially for the Rockets you can't replace someone already on the team in a role to take place of another person's role because they were all kind of there for their distinct abilities PJ Tucker was a great small ball big um stretched the floor from the corners I mean you can go more into what he did Bamute was another defender you could place alongside um Trevor Ariza he isn't Trevor Ariza so it's different and I don't think you're gonna find him looking at People like Aaron Aflalo, Wayne Ellington, other players that I'm thinking could possibly fit the deal. Glenn Robinson III would have been a great fit. I hear James Ennis is out there and in talks. Um, there was one other player, I think you can remind me, I forgot. But there was someone else that they were talking to or there was hopes that um, the Rockets reach out to. But they're not going to be Trevor Reza. I don't think it's anything less than a loss. Even if you say he's a role player, as you did. What do you, I mean, as, as Rockets fans, you said, have said, what he brought not only from the locker room, not only from his versatility, but also being a, a key cog in that role. Yes, he wasn't a Chris Paul, he wasn't a James Harden, he wasn't a Clint Capella, but he had, aside from those three, the most important role on that team, and he's had it for, for a couple of years now. So losing that that skill set and replacing it with more marginal, more one-or-the-other type um, uh, skill sets, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a loss. There's no way around it. And in terms of and when you're analyzing this loss, you analyze it from a perspective of how they're trying to beat the Warriors. And when it comes to beating the Warriors, oftentimes it comes down to those role players. Role players have to play the, the series of their lives, basically, to support the star players. And you lost a key role player that's a 3 and D wing, which is basically what you need. You need to stock up on all those to play small ball against the Warriors, to switch because the Rockets use a switching scheme. So many key aspects that Trevor Reese has filled for the Rockets for the past couple of years and would have filled moving forward if they if they signed him. And the interesting thing is that I'm surprised that they didn't sign him. I mean, they, they could have they could have brought him back. And, you know, their new owner, Tillman Fertitta, said he was willing to pay a big luxury tax, basically whatever it takes to bring back this roster. I, apparently there was a limit on that, on that wallet right there because they could have <laughs> matched something like this. We don't know what their offer was, but 
you know, you would have the bank that if they offered him like twelve million per year, maybe for two years or three years, he probably would have taken that over fifteen. Or, or maybe, maybe Trevor Reza wants to take a one-year deal and re-enter the market at 2019 as age thirty-four, which I'm not sure I would do if I was him. Um, I would just kind of get that three or four-year kind of guaranteed money. But this, we don't know the behind the scenes of it. But it's interesting that the Rockets didn't offer something at least close to this because you, you would have thought he would have wanted to return. Um, but then they lose a key piece. We'll have to obviously wait and see how they. You know, replenish his role, whether that's bringing back Mabamute and maybe adding another wing player, or maybe they lose Mabamute. I mean, they only have, a, I think, a mid-level exception for $5.5 million, and if they give that to Mabamute, then they have to rely on veterans minimum. Um, and if they get Mabamute to take the veterans minimum, that might be a hard sell because he has some suitors now if he had a pretty good year in Houston last year. Um, so much to unpack here, and we have to wait to analyze it in full because maybe the Rockets have a plan a plan B potentially for that Trevor Reza role. But for the Suns perspective, it's also very interesting because this is a weird move. They had about 18 million or so this year in cap space and they're spending basically all of it on Trevor Reza for one year. So obviously no long-term commitment. And again, a great veteran presence, you know, great three and D wing. If they're looking to try and compete in some fashion this year, even though I don't think that would happen. Um, but his role would be very interesting because of course they drafted Josh Jackson they traded for Mikhail, Mikhail Bridges. They traded a 2021 unprotected first-round pick. They're pretty high on Bridges, as many are. Um, they still have T.J. Warren on the roster. They got Devin Booker there. Uh, I mean, do they start Trevor Reza at power forward next to Josh Jackson? Um, what if they move Devin Booker to the point guard position? They don't have a point guard yet, really, besides Brandon Knight, who's coming back from injury. Um, I, I'm... I'm a little bit confused on this signing for their perspective in terms of his fit on the court and then, you know, why they feel like he's the nice piece. I'm, I'm just wondering if their intentions are to try and compete and use him on the floor as like a 30 plus minute per game guy or have him as a smaller role player veteran for the young guys to grow, especially those wings that they have. It's definitely interesting. And honestly, there's so much to talk about. I don't even have anything else to say on that. It's crazy, man. I'm looking just re looking at Twitter and seeing these signings and I'm sorry, I still can't get over and not to distract you and kind of go in a different direction. What type of roster the Lakers are building right now? I'm at a loss. <laughs> at mean, a complete loss. <laughs> you, you combine Lavar, the ball family that's uh, that's going to be there if if Lonzo's there. LeBron who obviously has attention and is no uh, no, af- not afraid to meme it up himself. Javel McGee, Lance Stevenson. <laughs> I, I mean, what is this? Is so I just saw a tweet. It's gonna be the most memeable roster of all time, <laughs> definitely. I oh, mean, yes. I'm not sure. I mean, these these are some weird pieces to add. I mean, they're none of these players and Lance Stevenson and Javel McGee are known for their basketball IQ. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Le- I'm sure LeBron's kind of giving his green light to these signings because I wouldn't want to kind of annoy him by springing on people he doesn't want on the team. But what a weird, weird roster they're they're compiling here. I mean, yeah, at least Lance, I could see LeBron taking because it's almost a, a, a Kobe, um, Ron Artest, Metal World Peace type deal where, okay, you know what? We had all these battles, but I respect you didn't back down. Come join my squad. It's also a, a kind of fun troll. I, I get that it, it, from LeBron's standpoint. And I'm sure the Lakers are running these signings by LeBron. So I don't see LeBron shaking his hand going, yeah, yeah, bring me uh, bring me JaVale McGee. We need him. You know, that's that's interesting. Um, and now the roster, it, 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 it's, it's weird. Unless there's a move pending, you have Lonzo, you have Ingram, you have LeBron, you have um, KCP, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee. You still have Zubak. I'm sorry. Um, the, the artist formerly known as Luau Deng is still there. And you might want to keep him and, and actually use him if 
the direction has gone from developing youth to winning now. And honestly, I don't know if you could tell the direction by looking at this team right now. Yeah, I mean, so I just saw there's a tweet from Real GM, the current projected Lakers roster is LeBron, Lonzo, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Caldwell Pope, Josh Hart, JaVale McGee, Lance Stevenson, Zubach, Mo Wagner, and Luol Deng. It's a weird collection. Obviously, you've got players that are, you know, certainly in their prime, if not past it. Um, and obviously the young guys, Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, Josh Hart, um, Wagner, and, and, and Zubach. Those are a couple of young guys there. It's a weird, weird, really weird collection, both in terms of meme potential, but then also on the floor, both the ages of the roster, the ages of the role players. Does Luol Deng contribute? You, you know, if he has anything left in the tank, that it wouldn't hurt to play him because he could, you know, if he can still contribute, which we don't know, um, it wouldn't hurt to play him with this That's kind of true. roster if they're especially looking to contend in some kind of fashion. But it's a weird mix. I guess it's okay because, you know, they have the current, they have the, the present kind of figured out in terms of being a 50-plus win team, playoff contender in terms of making the second round potentially fighting for a conference final spot. But they also have the future locked up with Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, Hart, you know, obviously those guys, some of them could be gone in a trade for a more present move like Kawhi Leonard. But keeping the keeping it the way it is, you know, they could also kind of just make sure they have some cap space for the summer of 2019 to just sign a player instead of having to trade these young guys, in which case that'd probably be the best scenario for them in terms of taking a year, having LeBron get integrated, win around 50 games, maybe win a playoff series or something like that, make the second round, but then have the free have the salary cap room to just sign Kawhi Leonard right out. So you have LeBron, you have Kawhi, but you don't have to give up all these young guys, in which case you become an instant contender having LeBron and Kawhi plus all these young guys in their second or third or fourth years. And then once LeBron and Kawhi are, you know, done or past their prime, even though Kawhi is like 26, it, he'll be kind of in line. But once LeBron's past his prime, you could have Kawhi and the young guys. And that's a whole nother team right there. So this is balanced. I think they're balancing it out in terms of focusing on summer of 2019 in terms of trying to just sign a star instead of having to trade for one. And then having that ability to be a, not a, a quote unquote super team 2019, 2020 season, but then also like, four or five years from now when Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, Hart, et cetera, are in their prime with a guy potentially like Kawhi Leonard. I think they're doing a decent – I think that – I mean, I'm obviously I'm speculating here, but I feel like if that's their yeah. mindset, I think it's a very good mindset to have in today's NBA, in which case you don't – I don't think they would beat the Warriors right now, obviously, but they know that they can still compete and be a good team, be a good team right now, but then also be a great team four years from now just by signing Kawhi and keeping their young guys. Exactly. Dude, that was such a comprehensive breakdown and, and just such a detailed, well-paced analyzation of their of their plans. That that respect right there. I, I think if they follow that blueprint that you basically just laid out, then that makes perfect sense. Then I see you trying on these players like Lance, like Javel, almost, you know, just to field a competitive team. Um, veterans fringes around the edges around this young core with LeBron James knowing that hey we're not competing this year with an eye to next season and that makes that makes perfect sense we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes but definitely interesting I, I wanted to get so many other signings to get to as I'm sure you are itching to do I want to get your thoughts and you mentioned this as we referenced yesterday on our uh, live free agency extravaganza but DeAndre Jordan to the Mavericks finally happening you know a little three years too late a lot of emojis, a little bit of clip art thrown in there, um, a, a lot of stuff going on down there in Dallas and in L.A. as well, having that whole 2016-2017 Clippers roster officially on different teams <laughs> more, more than a year and a half later. But what, what are your thoughts on it? I'm a little more optimistic, I think, than you are, given that I think having 
um, Jordan still, you know, still 29. He will be 30 when the season starts, but playing with an offensive mastermind like Rick Carlisle, who has shown success with rim rolling bigs, see Tyson Chandler. And I think with Dennis Smith Jr., with Luka Doncic, you still have J.J. Barea down there, Wiley Vett, um, having multiple ball handlers there with the rim roller and Dirk Nowitzki still touching the floor. I think you can have a, a more than above average offense, but I think you have a very interesting team, and I think Jordan fits right in. But I know you have some thoughts on that. I'd like to hear yours. Yeah, so it, when I when the report came out that there was mutual interest between Jordan and the, and the Mavs, I had assumed that they were going to give him a three- or four-year deal, and that's why I didn't like it. I didn't like it because he doesn't fit their timeline. They're two most important players. Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic are both 19 and 20, so it wouldn't make sense to give a 30-year-old center a four-year deal, especially a center who we saw decline last season. We, maybe that was because he wasn't fully engaged mentally, but also I think some part is just the physical decline of hitting 30 and you know, big men after age of 30. Decline happens. It can happen pretty rapidly for some players. So I was really skeptical and, and kind of worried about them giving him multiple years. But you, I found out a one-year, $24 million deal. Basically, it, it basically is the same contract as he would have got if he just accepted his player option. But he just wanted to go to Dallas and sees a big role there. And they obviously want him there too. And with this case, in this case, I'm, I'm good with the signing because I think that he's a nice player to have for a big man to provide some a vertical threat for Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr. in terms of throwing lobs and throwing alley-oops to him. Um, he should, he's a good screener in the pick-and-roll game. That'll also help out Doncic and, and Dennis Smith Jr. in terms of their playmaking, and both of them are good, if not elite, in terms of Doncic's playmaking especially. Um, defensively, we, we don't know what we'll get from him. Obviously, he, he's not as much of a shot blocker as he used to be. He averaged less than a shot a, a one block per game um, last year. I think it was .9, um, which is a you know, far cry from what he used to be in his prime of like over two per game. Um, but he can still be good defensively. I think maybe a coach like Rick Carlisle can unlock him on both ends of the floor, um, get creative offensively, and then on defensively just make sure he's engaged. Um, I like the signing for I like the signing for now. Now we'll see. If, if he has a nice year and they turn around and give him a, a three-year extension or something like that, that would concern me a lot. I, I don't want to... If I'm, the, I mean, if I were the Mavericks and I was negotiating this, I wouldn't want him for more than two years. So the fact that they got one year is good. But if their plan is to just try him out for a year and then re-sign him for three more years, that could hurt them. <laughs> but if the plan is, you know, let's give Dennis Smith Jr. and Doncic in their first and second years um, a good center, both on the offensive end and maybe a defensive rim protector to kind of, you know, make up for the, their shortcomings. Both Smith Jr. and Doncic could have some shortcomings defensively. Then I make it makes sense. You know, he's not really like a, a locker room guy in terms of like you know role player and mentor, but that's what they have Dirk Nowitzki for. Um, but this team is interesting. Obviously, they traded away their 2019 first round pick. It's one through five protected, so most likely it's almost guaranteed they're going to trade it away. So there's no point in them taking. And it looks like they're going to use Dennis Smith Jr., Doncic, um, Jordan, um, Harrison Barnes is there. There's still I thought there was some rumors that they're interested in bringing back Seth Curry. Obviously, Nowitzki can still provide something here and there. Um, J.J. Barea is still there. Um, they're looking to contend, and you know this is like a team like the Suns where I don't see it happening. Um, but they could be a team that's like in the mid, low to mid 30s and wins, and then they take another step over into the 40s, and then b- before you know it, they're a 51 team. Depending on what they do at center beyond next year in terms of DeAndre Jordan, and then of course replacing Nowitzki, and then filling out on the wing because again there are some doubts about Harrison Barnes, but. I'm fine with deciding. I'm actually pretty good with it at one years. I would have been okay with it at two years, but anything beyond that, I would have had major concerns. But the fact that they did one year, I think it's a nice piece to add for Doncic's rookie season, Dennis Smith Jr.'s sophomore season, um, and helps them out this year because they don't 
need a tank. They don't even have their draft pick. So I'm good with the signing. Much higher on it than I was when the first report came out that they were interested in, in signing him in free agency. Okay, see, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that. The only reservation I have for Dallas is if they sign Jordan with, as you said, in mind having a, a rim-rolling big who can cover up defensively from some mistakes and be uh, a more of a release valve on offense but not opening up the floor from the stretching in on three-point line but more of just bringing that gravity to the rim, then I think it's a great signing. If they're, if they're signing Jordan with the intent of possibly making the playoffs – then I'm a little more skeptical because, like, like I was saying it's earlier, not happen, having right? Jordan, <laughs> you're skeptical exactly. because it's not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. I mean, break it down. Warriors and Rockets locked. Lakers, a little LeBron, definitely. The Jazz are going to be good again. The Wolves are definitely there. The Pelicans, whether Boogie's back or not, are there. Thunder with George and and Westbrook may not make it to the second round, but they're definitely making the playoffs in my opinion. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum should be enough to at least get the Blazers back in it. The Nuggets only missed out by one game last year, and barring any injury, I think they're a near lock this season. I mean, they you can't hold them back much longer. The Clippers are hanging around, and even the Grizzlies, as long as you have Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, as if they stay on the floor, ugh, I, I'm not going to bet against them. They they they're kind of playoff mainstays outside of you know disastrous season last year so all that being said no Dallas is not getting there but if they can get a modest increase in wins get some experience for the for the young ones playing with the center of that archetype of that mold um I don't know having a nice feel-good reunion moment yes DeAndre came to Dallas I think it works I definitely like it from from a fit, offensively and defensively. I just team direction is the only thing I have a problem with. But if everyone's on the same, you know, reserve goal where they all say the right things, oh yeah, we're making the playoffs and this and that. But as long as management and front office know, okay, <laughs> this is why we have them here and this is where we're going with it, then I don't think there's any way that you can become disillusioned with what happens afterwards. Exactly. It, 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 we don't obviously don't know their intentions to the signing, but. Based on sure. a one-year deal, I think they can work out, and we'll see what they do after that. They could turn around and botch the situation by giving them a three- or four-year extension afterwards, but we'll see about that. But um, you mentioned the Nuggets, and I think it's a logical place to go next. A team that didn't add yep. anybody, but they did get really, really expensive. I mean, that's a thing we could talk about with almost all these teams, though, that they're getting really expensive. <laughs> there just isn't much salary to go around. But the Nuggets, obviously, the report came out. You know, several almost like a week ago about Nikola Jokic signing that five-year max contract, 148 million dollars. No player options, nothing. So he's going to be there for five years at the minimum. And then, um, pretty much, you know, a little bit before 12 midnight Eastern time, the report came out that Will Barton will resign for four years, 54 million dollars. Player option on year four. It, it's an interesting signing. You know, you talk to some people, they hate it. You talk to some people, mostly Nuggets fans, they love it. And a lot of people are kind of in between. Um, and it's interesting because there, were, there was a report that came out sometime during the regular season that Barton had turned down, I think it was four years, $42 million. The Nuggets offered him that in like October as an extension. He turned that down. He bet on himself and he actually, it worked out for him. And maybe it's because there was the report that the Pacers were interested in him and that drove his market up because this is a slight overpay for Barton. And especially for a team that has guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and, and Malik Beasley as a young guy who could grow into the next Will Barton or something like that. Um, but again, he's a key piece for them. And it was nice that he got a player option. It was nice that he bet on himself and, and won pretty much in terms of getting more money, $54 million. Um, and his role is going to be interesting because they've got Wilson Chandler there who was starting at small forward for them when available last year. Um, this team's expensive. They're going to have to try and unload contracts such as Kenneth Fareed and Darrell Arthur and, 
the rumor was that they're also might be unloading Wilson Chandler. And apparently there's another report. I mean, there's like a thousand reports this time of year. Um, there's another report that they had pretty much promised Will Barton that he would be their starting small forward next year. And, you know, that raises questions about what they do with Wilson Chandler. Um, do they attach a first-round pick for a team like the Hawks to get just get off the Kenneth Reed and Darrell Arthur contract? Because this team has major, major salary, a luxury tax implications for a team that I, I would confidently, confidently predict to make the playoffs like you just did, um, but is not probably any beyond a first-round elimination at this point. And to pay a lot, a big luxury tax bill, it would only be for one year because they might actually have salary cap space in 2019. Um, but to pay a big luxury tax bill for a team that you know might just be first-round elimination, um, that probably won't happen. And so I think we can expect a cost-cutting move sometime in the next couple of months um, in terms of getting off contracts. But the Barton signing, I like Barton as a player. I love watching him. I think he's extremely entertaining. I think he's a big piece to this Nuggets team as as a veteran player who kind of calmed down Jamal Murray and Gary Harris at some times. He can handle the ball, can shoot the three, can attack the rim. A very inconsistent defender and not really you know above average for the most part, um, but can maintain himself if he's locked in. But he's a key piece to this core. It's nice that they had him back, but really the the cost of these bad contracts they have, especially like um, the Mason Plumlee contract, which looks pretty bad now, um, making you know 13 million a year. Um, Kenneth Reed, it's an expiring contract, but still making over 13 million dollars. He's not even in the rotation for the most part. Wilson Chandler is fine at 12 million for the most part. Darrell Arthur, seven million, is pretty much dead money. But they had to overpay, which this is a thing that the Nuggets have done recently for their guys like Plumlee and like maybe for Reed potentially. Um, but it's nice that they got Barton back and you they're basically going to run back the same team. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, potential starting lineup of Will Barton at small forward, Paul Millsap they'll get back after he missed, you know, half more than half of the season last year. And of course, Nikola Jokic with the new max contract. I love the Nuggets. They're extremely fun to watch. They're going to have a great offense, top five offense. They might have a top, bottom five defense. Um, but they're going to win with offense, and they're going to be fun and entertaining, and they're going to be very expensive. That Those are my thoughts on the Nuggets right now. Oh, yeah, and I think, you know, they definitely over overpaid a little bit. But in this case, I feel you kind of had to. You Will Barton, as you said, was integral for this young core. Gary Harris still just 23. Nikola Jokic, same age. Jamal Murray, 21. Um, Barton has increased his scoring and his assists per game over the last three seasons. Um, kind of topped out around four rebounds per game, but you know what you're getting with him. Some streaky shooting, some great slashing, um, more of a, 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 a basically a, almost a, I'm trying to find the right word. Basically, he, as you said, he helps the young ones calm down a little bit. There's the word. And he can be a little crazy himself on the court, but you know what you're getting. Very, pretty much dependable over the last three years. He missed... Um, a good portion due to injury in the 2016-2017 season, but played 81 games this year, could start, come off the bench. Um, I think it's a great signing. Obviously, extending Nikola Jokic had to do. That's great. I'm really high on this team between Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. They're my, just This is my favorite young team coming up, and I love this backcourt, even though neither of them are traditional. Well, they're both shooting guards, but with the offensive versatility that Jokic has and really being that centerpiece, they're really just great finishers and secondary distributors, which is great to have. I, I like this team. They are expensive. Um, definitely see, see a first-round exit in their future. But, hey, in three or four years, you know, this team can grow to be to be a, a force. Golden State will sort of age out. Um, all three of these players, Gary Harris, Nicole Jokic, and Jamal Murray, will, between, will be between the ages 24 and 26. I think it's interesting to see what might happen. And I think that having Will Barton for another year there is just a great – or for another couple of years there is a great way to help transition them from being this young upstart team to a real force rising in the West. 
Yeah, Will Barton's 27, so basically by the end of this contract, he'll be 30 or 31, kind of exiting mm-hmm. his prime. But at that point, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Joe, Nicole Jokic will be in their primes, if not entering it. Nicole mm-hmm. Jokic, at the end of his five-year max, will be 28, I believe. So that's basically the right of his prime to get another big contract, potentially. Jamal Murray, I think, is 21. Gary Harris <laughs> is 23. This team is, is young. Their core guys are young. Um, and so they've got room to grow, and it's nice that they're going to run it back and Next year is not their real year to strike. You know, maybe adding another, adding one more kind of key role player, six man-ish kind of piece, summer of 2019, and then further development from the young core equals a more more of a true playoff threat, you know, in terms of making it past the first round. But, um, all right, let's get to some of these interesting role player signings. For the most part, we've covered the big guys. Let's start with a couple of them in the Eastern Conference. We've got Doug McDermott going to the Pacers for three years, $22 million, all guaranteed money. And then Ursan Ilyasova is going to the Bucks for three years, $21 million, except that third year is completely non-guaranteed, so it could potentially be a two-year deal. Um, do you like either of these signings, and uh, what are your thoughts on them, really? I mean, okay, so Ursan Ilyasova deal, I'm – not high on. Yeah, he had a, a pretty decent run in Philadelphia, but the dude hasn't hit um, 40% or more from three in the past three years, and that's sort of his role there. Um, he'll take a charge for you. That's great. I love it. But um, <laughs> other than that, and, and, and being okay um, from three-point range, but obviously not being above average in that sense, and this was three years in your prime. You're 31 at this point. It's definitely interesting. Having that option at the end of that third year definitely helps just a little bit because at least you do get two years. I, I liken it to almost uh, Mirza Teletovic and his contract where, you know, a shooter, uh, I wouldn't say a great, great shooter. I think Teletovic was better as a shooter, but on a contract at the time that, eh, you didn't really like it, but okay, it's better because it's a mutual way to opt out before it really gets ugly. Um, I just don't really know why Milwaukee prioritized um, him, I know he had a great relationship with their coach uh, Bud Boonholzer, which is which is awesome. But last I checked, you have Jabari Parker, restricted free agent, that you really have to kind of deal with there. And by bringing in Ilyasova, not only on money wise but also on role, is that sort of your subtle reminder to uh, or your subtle hint to Jabari Parker that hey, you know, find find another offer, we're moving on past you. And that brings more questions than answers on that note. But I think it is interesting to look at. Yeah, I mean. They needed shooting. I, I get that. But you can get shooting on the cheap. What, what is his role? I think I think everyone at this point agrees that Giannis's best position is playing power forward full time. I, I mean, just because of, he can add more spacing by adding a shooter next to him at the three. Um, I would even play Giannis at center at some points to get really weird and get some small ball lineups. Ilya Silva, I mean, he's not going to start, right? I mean, he he's could not play. a three. He's not a th- – no, God, please don't let me see that. <laughs> if I see that, I will not watch Bucks games at all. Um he can play small ball five, but you're not getting anything defensively there at that point. It's not good. And and the other thing is, he prevents the Bucks from implementing a switching scheme on defense, which I get it. Not a lot of teams want to do that. It's kind of a really modern way of playing defense. Can you know the Rockets have done it with success. The Warriors have done it. But listen, you got to look around the league, and those four teams in the conference finals all did squ- switching at some level or another. The Rockets were really ultra switchy. Warriors were pretty good in terms of switching a lot of things. Celtics did that too. Cavs did it. This is a modern defensive scheme, and, and the Bucks have the personnel for it. Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Giannis, um, Don Maker, you know, if he plays more um, moving forward and he takes another step. But Ilya Silver just kills that. You cannot switch with him on the floor. So that kills another potential. I mean, I'm not saying the Bucks are going to do a switching scheme, but 
it kind of kills all potential to do it when Ilyasova's on the floor. Um, what is he going to do? I mean, are you going to play Giannis at five and Ilyasova at the four to get shooting around Giannis and maybe throw out a lineup of Bledsoe, Middleton, Snell, Ilyasova, Giannis? I mean, he just Ilyasova is not good defensively, and if he's not hitting his shots, he's not going to provide much offensively. And why are you getting him for two years, maybe even three years? Why not just give him a one-year deal? Is that would he not have accepted a one-year deal? Like, why do you have to tie up seven million dollars of your cap space next summer when they could have probably carved out enough to be a significant player in free agency? I'm confused why these teams did these multi-year deals for players that aren't really worth the value or the length of the contract. Um, and this goes to, for Doug McDermott in Indiana. It's another weird one for me because, oh, yeah. I mean, I get it. They want shooting, and McDermott's a, a knockdown shooter. He's kind of an underrated offensive player overall. So he, he can kind of get into the post and do some things as he's a pretty big size guy. Um, but, you know, they did, they just guaranteed uh, Bojan Bogdanovic's contract, so he'll be back at small forward. He was good for them last year. Um, I'm not sure what McDermott's role is going to be. I mean, how many minutes is he going to get? He's not going to start. Thaddeus Young is still playing at power forward. Miles Turner is going to be getting a big extension next summer that ties up their cap space. The Pacers were a team that came into this offseason as one of the few teams that are made the playoffs last year and, and seemed to be on the rise and also had significant cap space. There were rumors that they were going to go after Aaron Gordon, um, who we haven't mentioned yet. It's re-signed with the Magic for four years, $84 million. Um, mm-hmm. But that this this takes away from their cap space this summer, and they're going to not have much in, moving forward when they try and re-sign Miles Turner. Um, it's it's weird. I, I get the shooting. I get they want another offensive guy around Oladipo, um, but I, I just don't get the length of the contract or the value of it when you probably can find shooting and offense kind of on, on the cheap for minimums or exceptions. I'm not sure why both of these teams are giving three-year deals to these guys for seven-plus million dollars a year for some of them um, when they just don't have to. That's it. They just don't have to. I mean, they could they could find alternatives on the cheap that potentially fit better. That, that I mean, I'm, I'm uh, confused by both signings. I mean, there's another one I want to run by you and see if you have more rationale, more reasoning to it than I do. Um, Marco Bellinelli to the Spurs. Oh, God. Um, 32 years old, two years, $12 million. My question is, the Spurs gave themselves that leverage? Who are they, who are they leveraging against? Like, like, what, what, what was the issue with that? I mean, they already have several guards under contract, so it's kind of shocking to see them spend part of their mid-level exception on Bellinelli. I mean, especially with what's going on in Kawhi and where you want to be as Spurs moving forward. Um, I, are, are they getting good value? I guess they are because he's a great shot maker and he's less than the full mid-level, but a two-year deal when you're 32 uh, and, and, and well-documented defensive struggles, I think it's, it's interesting, right? It's not interesting. It's bad. Let's just put it what it is. <laughs> there it you is go. Thank you. It's bad because number one, again, what is the deal with this set? What are the deal with these teams giving more than one year contracts? I don't understand. What are these agents negotiating? I mean, just give him a one year six million dollar deal. Would he not have taken that? Of course he would. To come back to San Antonio where he had probably his best year of his career, won a championship, six million dollars, he would have taken that in a heartbeat, in my estimation. But two, I agree. This plan. Seems weird. They re-signed Rudy Gay for one year, $10 million, which which I think is actually a good move. Um, that's actually a fine move by them. One year, mm-hmm. key key there. One year equals good deal. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, Marco Bellinelli, he'll provide shooting. He'll take terrible shots when you don't want him to. And you do not want to watch him on defense. It is that bad. I mean, if the Spurs are, and all indications, bringing back Rudy Gay, Marco Bellinelli, you know, the rest of their roster, all indications are that whether they trade Kawhi or not, they're going to look to win games. And this is this could get ugly. If they trade Kawhi 
for a less than appealing package or if they traded Kawhi for a young player that's not ready to really help them win, they could, this could get ugly because they got Paul Gasol on that terrible contract. I don't know why they gave it to him last summer um, that has, I think, two more years on it. Um, this Bellinelli contract doesn't make any sense because you can't play him against the best teams. Even if they want to contend, you cannot play Bellinelli against the Warriors or the Rockets or even the Thunder because they'll just attack him on defense and he'll be giving sure. up buckets left and right. Um it doesn't make sense to me. They got other guys like Kyle Anderson. They have to bring back Bryn Forms. They could try and bring back. Um, I, I'm confused. I'm just confused by it. Rudy Gay's there. Um, Danny Green's there. Um, I mean, uh, Tony Parker. They try and bring back. I mean, it just feels like they're kind of banking on his his year yet in San Antonio, his his comfort in the organization and that Spurs culture thing. But I think they're getting, they're just getting too invested in this whole culture-minded focus of of adding players. They, they've got to. You know, take more swings on players that are just talent-wise and fit-wise in ter- instead of just getting guys they're comfortable with or guys that they think will fit in their really strong and organized culture and system. Because ever since, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, et cetera, this front office has not done well in terms of the contracts they have given out, whether that be the Paul Gasol contract or now this Marco Bellinelli contract or how they've handled the Kawhi situation. This Spurs team is is you know dismantling pretty quickly and kind of unraveling from the core of that Popovich, um, R.C. Buford front office. It, it really is. I'm starting to wonder if this is the end of that great Spurs excellence as this team just seems to well, – they were always known for great prudent signings, um, discovering gems in free – and not free agency, but discovering gems late in the draft, having this great culture – um, always seeming to kind of rebuild and retool without ever having to start from scratch and always being a dominant force in the West. And right now, I mean, in my eyes, they're in the mix. I obviously have to do a lot more thinking about it and trying to see kind of where they fit. But these moves here, I mean, not only is, is the culture shot, all, you know, at this point with the way that the Kawhi situation was handled at best, it, it's a major setback at worst. Um, just the Spurs culture may be more tied to Tim Duncan, in my opinion, than, you know, the culture itself and what was set. But also now, with, with the logjam that you have at certain positions, you have Marco Bellinelli back. As you already said about Paul Gasol and his oh, very weird contract, even when signed. LaMarcus Aldridge there, what they do with Kawhi. It, 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 it's very different. This isn't the Spurs team, I think me and you can both say in our lifetime, that we're used to looking into the offseason and you know soon to the new season, where for once it's, it's very not Spurish. Yeah. That's not even a word, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a lot of question marks, and obviously we'll see if the Kawhi situation is resolved in the next couple of weeks or months. Um, what they get back in return for him, when they, if and when they do end up trading him, is a huge thing. They have to get this trade right because the rest of this roster is old, um, not much salary, you know, room, and and. and it seems like an unraveling, and we've we've heard the reports that Popovich will probably be leaving in you know a year or two. Um, it's the Spurs are there are a lot of question marks, a lot more than we're used to hearing or seeing about the Spurs moving forward, and it's interesting. And we'll obviously have to keep an eye on it. But basically, they have to knock this quiet trade out of the park to get some young assets and players that can start this next Spurs rebuild. Because trying to contend whether they have whether they know they have Kawhi on the roster or not by signing these guys like Marco Bellinelli is, is not going to do anything, not, nothing good for them moving forward. No, I'm in complete agreement with you. All right, so let's Agreement. run through some of these other role players' signings and let's see if we have anything interesting to talk about with them. So we've mentioned um, Will Barton, Jokic. We have uh, Joe Harris returned to the Nets for two years, $16 million. I think it's a nice contract. I, I was a big fan of Joe Harris. I thought that maybe as a, another team would try and steal him from the Nets. He was an unrestricted free agent. Um but the Nets, you know, he wanted to stay in Brooklyn. All, all reports said that. And the Nets gave him a nice offer of $8 million per year. Seems 
maybe a slight overpay, obviously, for those who maybe not are familiar with Joe Harris. And even in my opinion, I'm a big fan of him. I think that $8 million might be a slight overpay. Um, but a guy who can mm-hmm. hit threes, he can, you know, he's somewhat capable of attacking the rim. Um, he's not a complete albatross defensively. He can kind of hold his own. He's not above average pretty much at all. But he's decent, I guess, enough, especially if you surround him with nice pieces there. And, and the comfort and familiarity of staying in the net system kind of makes this signing at least I understand the signing, and I should couple that with saying that the Nets also signed Ed Davis from the Blazers for one year, $4.4 million, um, a really, really nice backup center to kind of help play alongside or play up behind uh, Jared Allen, who's their, you know, obviously center, potentially center of the future once they kind of buy out Dwight Howard and let him go on his way. So those are the two moves the Nets made. Um I like both of them. Um, maybe a slight overpay for Joe Harris, but getting I thought getting uh, Ed Davis for 4.4 in a one-year deal um, was a smart move to shore up that backup center position and also a guy who can kind of help here and there on the court. I agree. Um, Ed Davis, very solid rebounder, good serviceable big man. I'm sure not only does he fill, I don't want to say position of need, they definitely need it, I feel in my opinion, one more big with Jared Allen on the roster and um, Ronda Harrison basically playing as a big, but being a small, he, he's a great rebounder. He'll help. It's a cheap one-year, $4.4 million deal. Um, he's a blue-collar presence. He's steady. During his three years in Portland, you know, he um, he, he averaged 5.6 points and 6.9 rebounds per game in 205 appearances. That was 19 minutes a game. So I think he's worth the contract. Um, bargain in the basement, he'll, he'll help them out. Joe Harris, solid, you know, swing man, good shooter. Um, one being Brooklyn, Brooklyn one to have him. I think it's a great fit, and and I think he'll help them. And and it also fits with um, the way they like to play as far as spreading the floor and 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 having some ring rim rolling. Maybe Ed Davis will pick up a, a three point shot or two. Who knows? All the big men that dropped by Brooklyn the last three years under Kenny Atkinson seem to have at least flashed some of that potential where previously they never had it. So that might be something to look at. But yeah, I like both deals. Very smart, very Brooklyn deals. And since They've had Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson go there. They've really made some smart, prudent deals. I agree. I've, I've been pretty impressed with the Brooklyn front office and coaching staff over the past couple of years. And it'll be interesting to see because they could be able to carve out some cap space for 2019, but they also have to navigate some extensions for the young players like D'Angelo Russell, um, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson. Um, so we'll see what they do. It's going to be interesting. They could finally become, first of all, they're out of that Brooklyn Celtics trade. They finally, all those picks played out. They've got their picks moving forward, so you know maybe Yay! one more one more tank year to get to get a, a true asset right there, and then start rebuilding and and maybe becoming a real play in free agency. But um, all right, so let's move on to some of these other signings. Aaron Baines back to the Celtics for two years, eleven million dollars with the player option for year two, and and Baines obviously played a big role for the Celtics and, and will continue to play a big role for them. Um, you know he played, stepped up in the playoffs, started hitting threes in the playoffs. I know. Um, you know we'll see if, if that continues, but. He'll have a big role and played a big role for the Celtics last year. And, you know, I think it's good for him to get a player option and um, potentially two years, $11 million. But also for the Celtics, I think getting him back, you know, a physical big guy can kind of take off some of that force from uh, Horford's body in terms of, you know, playing out Horford at power forward sometimes and not having him bang around with all the big centers all the time. And just a guy who seemed to fit in with the locker room and seemed to fit in on the court. And if he can continue to hit threes, I think fits in even better in, in the modern NBA. Um, 
But uh, let's see. We got Derek Rose returned to the Timberwolves for one year, veterans minimum. Oh, my favorite signing, man. My oh, favorite. God. I mean, with him there, the backup point guard spot is solidified. Do you even have a third string guard? Do they need one? Isn't there a Tyus? We don't even need Tyus Jones. They're mm. moving on. I think they're looking at Joe Kim Noah and, uh, and <laughs> Lou Aldang next, right? Oh. What's going on with the front office of Minnesota? Is Tom Thibodeau just doing a Phil Jackson but from the coaching spot now? Like, his uh, reputation, in my opinion, is going down the drain. I mean, Tyus Jones is a good player, and a smart team should try and trade for him or something because he's stuck behind. I mean, he'll play, but he's just gonna be probably stuck behind Derrick Rose uh, and Jeff Teague, obviously. But I mean, it's. I mean, it just there seems to be a lot of dysfunction in Minnesota in terms of who, what players they bring in, and also the internal dissension between guys like Butler and, and Wiggins not living up to his new contract, and a team that we have to watch for the next year or so because Butler could be is eligible for an extension. The the Wolves, I think there was a report that they plan to offer him an extension. Um, but, you know, we'll see if he even takes it. He, summer of 2019, he could be a free agent. And we've heard the reports about him wanting to play with the Lakers before. And then they came out a couple of years ago. But that's still probably an interest with LeBron there and the Lakers having cap space. We have to watch for the Timberwolves because if they don't keep Butler around and, and Wiggins doesn't develop, then we're looking at a, a, a team led by one star and Carl Anthony Towns. And, well, I mean, we'll see. He will also should be offered an extension next summer as well. So that's an interesting one. Um, let's move forward to these uh, other smaller signings. Omri Caspi. Fred Van Fleet. Oh, Fred VanVleet is one we should probably talk about because yeah, not I small, but still, you know, it's small, but it's probably the most notable one that we still haven't talked about because there were a lot of indications and reports that a team like the Phoenix Suns were interested in getting a point guard, and Fred VanVleet was at the top of their list. And with the Raptors not having much salary space, that you know, a nice offer for the restricted free agent um, of VanVleet would force the Raptors not to match, and they can get a nice point guard. And I was all aboard the Suns going after VanVleet. They decided, to, they decided to go after Trevor Ariza, which we talked about earlier. <laughs> um, and the Raptors got Van Vliet back. It looks like no other team offered him an offer sheet because he just took two years, $18 million with the Raptors. And for the Raptors, it's big win for them because they get Van Vliet, who is a very, very underrated, obviously, six-man-of-the-year candidate. Very, very good backup point guard. I think he could eventually grow into a starting point guard role, and we'll see maybe that happens in Toronto or not, but also for Van Vliet, he gets $9 million per year, but he also, only a two-year deal, he'll re-enter the market at age 26, basically when he starts to enter his prime, so he maybe then could cash in on a longer Tim deal when there's more money available in two years in the summer. Um, so I like the deal for both sides. Good for the Raptors to bring back Van Vliet. They're pretty stocked at point guard now. They got DeLon Wright, they got Fred Van Vliet, they still have Kyle Lowry, so maybe a trade's in the works there in terms of getting other pieces for the wings or, or big position, but good for them to run it back with Van Vliet and good for Van Vliet to get money, but also the ability to get more money in two years from now. Oh, I, I don't totally like it. I think he bailed himself. Um, he really worked. He came, was just a, a leader of a great Raptors bench, a surprisingly good Raptors bench that outscored his opponents by 296 points last season. That's 100 points better than any other team, and he was really the spark plug and the linchpin for that. And as you said, it's a great deal. Two years, $18 million, puts him back out. Like you said, great position. It's a really solid deal. I was surprised Phoenix didn't make a, a move on them given their uh, tenuous point guard situation. But I, I guess when you have the chance to swing for Trevor Reza, you have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm confused by that. And, I, and Van, no, Van Vliet is 24. It would have fit with the Suns' timeline more. But listen, the, the Suns' thinking, maybe they just needed that veteran guy, 3 and D guy, to add to their cream of crop of wings. But we'll see if it plays out. I mean, who knows? Trevor Reza could be either traded by February or even bought out if he doesn't get traded and could join back, rejoin the Rockets or rejoin the Warriors or something like that. I mean, that would be... 
pretty bad, re- pretty bad reflection on the Suns front office. But anyways, um, so Fred Van Vliet <laughs> is <bad>. ba- <laughs> Fred. That's true. Fred Van Vliet back in Toronto. Um, we got Omri Caspi signing a one-year minimum with the Grizzlies. Pretty much nothing to talk about there. Um, we talked about Bellinelli already. Nick Stauskas going to the Blazers for a one-year minimum. Um, that's an interesting one because the Blazers um, rescinded their qualifying offers from Shabazz Napier, a very capable backup point guard, and Pat Connaughton, who's basically the same player, if not better, than Nick Stauskas. And they go, they let those guys go. They're letting Ed Davis go, which apparently pissed off Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum on Twitter last mm-hmm. night. Um, and they bring back Stauskas, a guy who was just basically unplayable last year um, for the Sixers and Nets. I, I'm not sure what the Blazers are doing. Obviously, a big part of it is because they spent so much money in 2016 that they have no salary left and they have to cut costs. But they're hurting their roster. And a team that got swept in the first round last year and they're bringing back the same roster, but, you know, a, a depleted roster in terms of losing Napier, losing Davis. Um, we'll see if they, they believe Zach Collins is ready to take the next step. We'll see about that. If that doesn't happen, that's a big yep. problem. Does Yusuf Nurkic take the qualifying offer? Because it looks like there's no restricted market for him now that no teams pretty much have any salary left. Um, an interesting team to watch and, and one that I would have concerns with if I'm a Blazers fan moving forward this season and, and also beyond. Oh, yeah. I think they're the one team that has really struggled and and haven't recovered the most from that 2016 um, just ill-timed, ill-fated extravaganza of free agency money. Because even the Lakers were able to get rid of at least Mozgov and and have plans um, around Luau Deng, hopefully, or at least have, let's just say, better um, assimilated him into their situation currently. The Blazers have just kind of been in the free fall, not in playing terms, but just having these players that are, that are okay, decent service role players, but weren't the cost of money they had then. They weren't that, they just swung for the fences Evan Turner, Alfred Gumino, I actually like him as a player. Just other players that didn't quite fit or did fit but weren't worth the money, and now they have to cut costs and draw lines in the sand, or oh, we're not going to pay Ed Davis um, five million, he can go to Brooklyn for four, and the one thing you don't want to do is tick off, you know, the, your two best players, and C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. I mean, who knows if this is a big, big deal or not, but I'm kind of kind of scared there. Portland seems to be trying to prioritize cheap deals, but at the expense of talent. But when you have two players that are trying to make to the playoffs and are trying to be, you know, they're, they're not they're not content with, with the rebuild or, or just being a losing team, then you have to communicate that with, their, with your players as a front office. That's something you have to do. If that is indeed the, the next phase, the next step that, the Trailblazers are taking because obviously to downgrade to Nick Sauskas who I mean he's cool but no he, he's he's worse than what you gave out you bring him in you lose that Davis who was uh, like I said a serviceable great rebounder for Portland in small minutes he knew his role he was a veteran and now you've ticked off two players that I'm sorry they're your stars yeah it's just not the best foot to be on you know and they're one of the teams that are are be, have become Big losers, pretty much every year since 2016. By the when they gave out oh, all the yeah. all that money, um, but that's that's the that's the price you have to pay when you make bad signings. That's just what it is, um, and they're and they're feeling that that price this summer and m- might you know continue to feel it moving forward. Um, but let's move on to some of the other signings. Not many others to even talk about, but we've got Glenn Robinson the third going to the Pistons for two years, 8.3 million, the team option on year two, um, and a player you could kind of. Put, throw into that mix of Mario Hazonia going to the Knicks on a one-year $6.5 million deal. I like the uh, Glenn Rob- I like both of these signings for each team, obviously in different players, different situations, etc. Pistons looking to make the playoffs. Knicks just looking to kind of get young players and see what they've got. Um, 
Glenn Robinson the third, I like that for Detroit, a guy who is not really a three and D guy because the D is not always there. The three point is also not always there, but a guy you could see as someone as in that three and D mold, as in he can play defense on a regular basis and he can hit threes on a regular basis, and that's what the Pistons need. I mean, surrounding Blake Griffin and DeAndre uh, Andre Drummond, I almost said DeAndre Drummond. Oh my God, um, <laughs> Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson with guys like Stanley Johnson, guys like Luke Kennard, who's a knockdown shooter, Glenn Robinson, who can hit threes and play defense. You know, Stanley Johnson has to improve his shot, but if all those three guys can start hitting threes and Reggie Jackson can hit some shots, then you get more space around those two big men. And you can use Blake Griffin as a playmaker from the top of the key and get creative there. I know that's not really Dwayne Casey's forte, forte, but I think that this could work um, in terms of I mean, I just like Glenn Robinson III as a play, as a player. I thought that was a, a smart team was going to scoop him up for cheap, and this is you know a pretty decent contract, especially with a team option. But I like his fit there as a guy who can play defense and hit threes. Pretty much what the Pistons need in terms of they don't have much money to add to this roster, and doing it on players like Glenn Robinson, I think is a good way to spend their money that they have. And for Hazonia, for the Knicks, it's really I mean, with Porzingis probably not going to probably going to miss like half of the season next year. It's just another rebuild. They're not going to be good, obviously, but they bring in David Fisdale, um, still developing Frank Nilakina, Enos Cantor's back. Hazonia showed something last year. It was a, a flashes during the second half of the. Uh, season and we don't know if it's going to continue but at least he showed something that you know said like you know maybe there is something here I mean last year he averaged 9.6 points per game shot about 34 percent on threes um you know 3.7 rebounds doesn't really pass doesn't really play defense or anything like that you know the the advanced metrics aren't too great on him but he had his by far his best year almost a league average PER you know almost a league league average true shooting percentage so he actually was basically a league average player last year which is a lot better you can say for his first two years but taking a one-year flyer on him when you know you're not going to be a good team because Porzingis isn't going to be playing for most of the year I don't think there's anything to lose at all and if you find a young player that can actually contribute maybe you can re-sign him and add him to that kind of youngish core um, alongside Nilakina, Porzingis whatever they do um, you know Kevin Knox we talked about last episode was kind of interesting pick um and then, you know, see what you can get. But it's basically about adding young players, taking flyers on them, not committing long-term money, which is why it's good. It's only one year. And you don't really have anything to lose. So I like both of these signings in different for different teams and for different players. I actually don't have much more to add other than that. Um, Glenn Robinson, another wing. Uh, still young. Good deal. Six foot seven, 222. He can swing between shooting guard, small forward positions. I think he'll be a great fit next to Blake Griffin and... Um, I'm about to do Andre Drummond the same as you. <laughs> but it'll be a great fit alongside Andre Drummond and, and Blake Griffin. He gets all together, then he'll even raise not only his ceiling, but also, I think, the Pistons. Um, As far as Church of Hazonia, Mario Hazonia, I I think he's good. I, I don't know if the one-year $8.6 million deal, mid-level, it's a nice deal. He's 23. Um, As you said, he had a resurgence that second half of the year. Um, Only thing I have a problem with, if the Knicks are trying to keep um, cast space open for 2019, then if Hazonia develops really well, then they have to pay him more, and that kind of eats into that. But if they think he's a, a piece they can build around with Porzingis, with Kevin Knox, with Frank Nilakina and others moving forward, then by all means go for it. And if he doesn't, then they can just move on next summer. So I think both of those are pretty good. Only thing I feel kind of sad about as someone who watched the Knicks come to Phoenix, you know, when they did, and keeping track on his um, career from afar, is that the arrival of Mario Hazonia probably puts an end to the Michael Beasley era. And, you know, that, that, that what an era it was, right? But, uh, the, year? The late, I mean, <laughs> based on the uh, moves that the Lakers have made tonight, I'm sure they've got an offer lined up for Michael Beasley. 
I would laugh so hard, man. I'm telling oh you. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd uh, be the LA Space Cadets. Actually, it already is. <laughs> pretty much already is, if you think about it. Um, yep. So, yeah, so th- that pretty much wraps up all the signings. I guess I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on Aaron Gordon re-signing with the Magic for four years, $84 million. Pretty much when the Pacers spent a decent amount of the money on Doug McDermott and Thaddeus Young came back, I guess it took them out of their, took them out of the running for Gordon. And really, as I've been saying this whole episode, is for these restricted free agents, they just aren't teams that have the money to even give them offer sheets to force their teams to match. Julius Randle might come into this. Um, Aaron Gordon maybe just – he went into the market, you know, searched for an offer sheet and – Basically, team said, yeah, we don't have much money. We can offer you this, but why not try and sign with the Magic? So he gets four years, $84 million, a little bit less less than the max he could get, um, which is good for the Magic and, you know, I guess good for them in terms of adding Aaron Gordon back, who's an interesting player. We'll see how he fits now that they have Mo Bamba into the group and they still have Jonathan Isaac from last year. It was an interesting team that still needs help on the perimeter. But, again, this, the theme is that the restricted free agents, and we knew this coming in, that the restricted free agents would just – they should have taken extensions probably in the fall because they're just not there just isn't money this year so whether you somehow do end up getting a, an offer as a restricted free agent or you negotiate a deal somehow with your team or some of these guys are probably going to take qualifying offers and then become unrestricted free agents in 2019 when there's a lot more money to go around but i think it's good for the magic to get aaron gordon back good for gordon to get a nice big payday um and i'll be interested to see how he fits in moving forward with the magic and how they can try and build a roster around him isaac and mo bamba Oh, yeah. They definitely have the longest wingspan in the league, I would say, <laughs> with just the players there. He had a much improved fourth season. Um, he struggled opening, um, you know, opening coming out the gate, but he shot 34% from deep. That's the first time he's been over 30% in his career. Average 18 points, eight rebounds. Played really solid. 6'9", great athlete. Um, defends both big man spots, can capably switch out. I just think, you know, if we can harness some of that potential that he clearly has and turn into more of a basketball player and less of an idea of one, then we'll be good, and he can clearly... Um, stand out, solidify himself as a star moving forward. But I, I like Aaron Gordon. 22, he didn't get the maximum five-year deal he could have, but he'll still see his first big payout, and I think that's good for him. I, I get props to him. I, as you said, with the way the restricted free agency has kind of gone, um, with so few teams having money and moves that were clearly made early, he wasn't going to go... I, I the, Let's just say that um, the other teams that he could have possibly signed with diminished, especially after Indiana made their moves. But I, I like his fit in Orlando. Um, we just have to see how it all works out with Mobamba and and Melvin Frazier and Justin Jackson that they already drafted that have huge seven foot wingspans and um, Jonathan Isaac and all these other just athletic freaks that you know um, John Hammond can't seem to not draft. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he might have his fourth coach already, or maybe his third coach. Yeah, definitely had Scott Skiles. He had uh, Frank Vogel. Now he has Steve Clifford. Um, mm-hmm. Did he have a? Oh, what's his name? Uh, Jock Vaughn. No, no, I'm that was to, before. I'm uh, trying to uh, find out the coaching staff for the. I know he's definitely had three. I'm just trying to figure out if his first season there was. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, he's been there four years, right? Yeah, he's been there four years. So he start, He came in 2014, 2015. Yeah. So I'm looking at. I'm looking now. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, this is interesting because <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> like of, that's a lot of change. That's a lot of. Um, so, yeah, Jacques Vaughn yeah, and James Grejo were both there in 2015. Brezo. Scott Siles took over 2015-2016. Frank Vogel was there for two years. And now Steve Clifford. I think he's had three – I think he's had four coaches. Wow. In yep, four years. You're right. 
Oh my right. goodness. Statistically, gracious. with a 42% win percentage, his best year his best year was with Scott Skiles. And, <laughs> and they couldn't and the front office couldn't take him and they had to fire him right away. Um but I, I think it's good for him to get a payday, good for the magic to bring him back, but again, you know, what we just found out about them having four coaches in four years kind of gives a good indication of this organization is just just not good in terms of um, stability, organization, consistency, and in terms of developing prospects. Aaron Gordon's a good player. We'll see if he can even take another step. We'll see what his role will be. You know, God forbid they put him back at small forward again. That could be another huge issue that that hurt him not this past season, but the year before. Um, So another team that's interesting, another team that, you know, keeps a guy that's key for their core. But again, a core that's a weird fit and a core that still needs a piece on the perimeter in terms of really contending. But, um, I think that, that sums up pretty much all the signings. This is only July 1st. I mean, it's crazy because we were up late last night. It feels like it's July 2nd. It feels like a whole new day. But um, we did our free agency show, if you want to check that out, um, to see our instant analysis um, with a bunch of our guys from the 94 Feet Report, but also a bunch of other guests that you know from NBA Twitter that cover a bunch of different teams. Um, check it out on our YouTube page. Um, we should have some nice free agency articles and coverage coming out on our website, 94feetreport.com. Um we should have episodes of this podcast every day, depending on how many signings there are each day. Um, if not, we'll just, you know, reconvene for a shorter pause just to summarize what happened in that day. But um, a crazy, crazy day one of free agency. It's only July 1st. Still a couple of role players to probably sign some teams that still have some money, some restricted free agents still on the market. And we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of days. But of course, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Follow the website on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Um, check out our coverage on 94feetreport.com and our YouTube channel and stay tuned. Um, if you're following me or if you're following the site, you'll get our updates on when the episodes of this podcast come out. And then, of course, Corbin, you can let uh, the people know where they can follow you. Oh, as always, Corbin Ford NBA. Um, also at 94 Feet Report. Kind of have some talk there, retweeting some funny stuff, especially with NBA Free Agency. Want to see what y'all think. I might be putting out some polls and try to start some conversations. So definitely, man, communicate with me. Let's get something going. Absolutely. Uh, and definitely follow us for updates on the pod and our free agency content, of course. But, of course, you'll check out everything at 94feetreport.com moving forward. Um, we should be back tomorrow, July 2nd. Um, you'll be hearing this, actually, July 2nd morning, too. But we, we should be back the morning of July 3rd then because we'll record the night of July 2nd um, to recap july 2nd of free agency and we should be doing episodes uh regularly until july 4th because after that that's when free agency slows down so follow me or corbin or the site on twitter to get updates on those podcasts and uh, we will be back with you guys really shortly take care all right y'all